I'll give you I'll give you one bit that it's going to be a very twisty 105ish miles. So okay. it's not going to be I, I think Cedar City, I don't know how I never done, I haven't done Unbound either. Um but I believe those sort of have some pretty pretty straight sections. Yeah. Um you're going to you're going to see here, you know, as you would expect, anyone that knows Western North Carolina knows we don't have any straight roads. So um it's it's going to be you know, dip and diving up and down, constant elevation change, and there's basically no flats on this route. So, okay. um, you know, you have to think about your your side traction a lot because you're going to be constantly, you're going to be, you might get dizzy. From KOM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I am your host, Trevor, and on this episode, we talk with John Murphy, former American Pro Road Cyclist, brand manager for Gulo Composites, and the course designer for the upcoming Belgian Waffle Ride in North Carolina. Now, I love when a guest comes on and isn't afraid to talk and have a long conversation, and John definitely did not disappoint. I hope to get some insight into the upcoming BWR course. I myself will be racing there, and I got that and so much more. This episode has a little bit of everything. John talks about his pro racing career, transitioning into a full-time job with Gulo Composites, And we get into the weeds and talk tech as he shares about his innovative work with Gulo, uh, what they're doing with carbon wheels and carbon spokes. And finally, we talk about Belgian Waffle Ride, the course, the gravel, the tire choice, and the survival camp that he and Gulo are putting on uh, in August 16th through the 20th. If you yourself want to get some firsthand experience with the Asheville area gravel. A really great conversation. We cover a lot of territory, and I want to get right into it. So enjoy my conversation with John Murphy. Before we begin, I'm just curious, like, where did you run across uh, Dirty Chain? And We're, we're promoting, um, obviously, our wheels. Gulo yeah. wheels, but we're also promoting a, a, a gravel survival camp for the Belgian Waffle Ride that's coming to North Carolina here in August. And um, I just was kind of going through the the uh, the gravel podcast, like <clears throat> what looked cool, what type, like kind of trying to talk to our, our demographic. And you know, your stuff looks really cool, so I, I kind of just saw everything you were doing, and it just looked like it would fit our our type of you know, not customer, but our demographic for who would want to come to this camp. And, you know, we, you know, we, uh, as a brand are, are focused on the, the gravel scene and, and yeah, so you guys seem to touch on that strongly. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I wish I, I wish I had played more music like you do, but, um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's sort of a cool, a cool niche as well. So I just thought it'd be cool to get on and talk to you and 
kind of see what you guys are all about and um, also kind of fill you in on our wheels and our camp and everything we're doing here in Brevard. Yeah, I, I want to know all about it. I was super interested. And it's like, just so happens that I'm also going down to Belgian Waffle Ride this year and I'm really excited about it. And I, I swear, just like last week or the week before, I'm going down with my brother and we were talking about, you know, what's the course going to be this year? Like, you know, we had, I think there was talk of it being 140 miles and now it's just over 100 miles. And so we're just, we were kind of interested in all that stuff. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about uh, Gulo. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Gulo. Yep. Gulo. Um, but before that... It means Wolverine. I, oh, really? Yeah, that's the, uh, the genome, Wolverine. Okay. I thought it, it had something to do with just, like, I, I don't know why. It sounds like glue and composite. It kind of <laughs> makes sense. But <laughs> but uh, Gulo, cool. Wolverine, which, yep. I mean, that's yep. like a, a tie-in with Michigan a little bit. There you go. <laughs> yeah, our, our owner, the owner of the company is from Michigan. And um, that's, really? the, that's the mascot for Michigan University. Am I right? What's the? Yeah, U of M. Yep. U of M, yep. So the Wolverines. that's the tie, but then the Wolverine fits well with our brand because we're small yet ferocious. So it's it, it all plays pretty well together um, from a cycling wheel aspect. And, and we do more than cycling wheels. At least we, we, we will be eventually. So but we can do all kinds of composite work. Talk to, before we talk about Gulo and Belgian Waffle Ride, talk to me about your cycling background and I saw that former pro, you did Perry Roubaix a, a bunch of times, like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. legit, man. Like, what? Tell me about that. I, I, I'm sorry that I don't know more about you and your cycling career, but uh, just tell me, give me a, give me a quick rundown about about your experience. No, totally. Cycling is a small, a small world, and like it, you tend to have people that know everything about it. And then it's like, then there's a really short step away from and people that love it, but don't know a lot about the, the different disciplines or like the pro side. And, um, so, so I turned pro, um, officially in 2007. Um, I was on jittery Joe's in 2004. Okay. Um, as a young buck. Um, and I, I'm a, I'm a Georgia native. So I can't, I, I grew up in Marietta, Georgia, and we had really good mountain bike trails out of my door. Um, I was able to, so I started riding mountain bikes at a young age. I started riding mountain bikes when I was 11 and started racing mountain bikes when I was 12. So, um, I was able to, you know, tap into the local mountain bike scene in Georgia early on in my life and fell in love with it early on. Um, just cause I, everything you can imagine with a mountain bike race, you know, it's, uh, it's more of an adventure than your typical baseball, football, basketball, um, avenue. So I fell in love with the competition side of me racing the competitors, um, but also just me like kind of racing myself and, and competing against the terrain and trying to, uh, to kind of have my <laughs> – the biggest hurdle I had growing up racing mountain bikes was trying to get my bike to the finish line, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> not break um, a chain or put a derailleur in the spokes or a flat tire. Um, any of that stuff was uh, my biggest sort of, you know – limiting factor so now my racing kind of I, I had a i was i loved the the adventure side of it so that's where i started um 97 i started racing i actually watched the went to the 96 olympics in conyers georgia 
Um, that was okay. a big part of my my uh, upbringing was seeing the high high level of racing, and um, you know, I kind of was enthralled by it. Was that like wasn't that the first one of the first year that mountain biking was in the Olympics? It was the first year. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. So it was a big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal, and that, that may have been a big driving factor in what kind of got me really hooked was that it now it wasn't just the first year but it was also in my kind of in my, in my backyard so we were able to go to Conyers and and watch all the big pros and it was pretty crazy i remember being injured at some point i think i had like i had crashed on my bike and broken my hand done something funky and i was in a cast so i couldn't but then they had some amateur stuff going on where you could ride the race to the actual olympic course um but i wasn't able to do it because i was in a cast so oh. it's kind of a bummer <laughs> but you know that I learned early on that injuries just make you even more motivated. It just kind of it, the fire burns hotter when you're injured. So, oh yeah. So I, I uh, yeah, so I, I raced mountain bikes um, my entire junior life. So from 12 to 18, I was focused on mountain bikes. And then when I was 18, my parents kind of told me that if I wanted to continue the racing path, I needed to be able to. For it myself, you know, as a as an adult, and uh, I winded up sort of switching from mountain to road at that point because there was a lot less support on the mountain bike side. Um, long story short, the road was a more viable um, discipline for me to be self-supported. So I moved to Crystal Cycling, which is the Chattanooga-based cycling team that my coach was on, and but winded up being um, a really good friend of mine slash sort of mentor in my life was the the manager of that team. And so I winded up racing for that team for a couple of years before kind of moving over to, to Jittery Joe's in 2004 as a kind of a partial part-time development rider um, and also racing on the U.S. national team over in Belgium, okay. under, under 23 national team. Okay. So I kind of, I kind of hit, hit my stride on the road. I uh, was more successful um, in the sense that on a mountain bike, you tip like for me, I, I didn't use a lot of tactics when I was racing mountain bikes. It was just whole shot and try to hold it. That sure. was my, that was my, that was my plan. Just, you know, balls out from the start and then try to just <laughs> try to stay, try to stay the course, not break the bike and not get past. Um, whereas on the road, it was very different where you could, uh, if you ever raced mountain bikes, versus road bikes i mean some crits are different but typically in a, road, in a road race a proper road race you start and it's like super casual maybe it's even neutral it's just sort of rolls off whereas right. a mountain bike start is super intense um you know you would it's literally like a field sprint off the start you know so what, what i really enjoyed about the mount the roadside was that easy start and then kind of you ease into the race and then it all comes to a climax at the end um with would be a sprint for me and it worked better for me to kind of like hold hold my cards and <laughs> save my power for the end and it was a totally different world and i i fell in love with that side of it so nice i put all my focus on the roadside um you you mentioned uh jittery joe's in 04 but i was down at the tour of georgia was it 05 maybe um it was like the big year i think um I think Tom Danielson won it. Uh, maybe yep. that was 04, 05. You didn't race that, did you? I raced it in 04 with Cesar Grajales was on my team. And he okay. won the uh, he won Brass Down the same year. 
the, the year I was on the year I was racing with him. Okay, I can't remember so he, he which year uh, I was down, but I'm guess Danielson would have won it with Discovery Channel, right? Yep. I think that was 05, but that was a long time ago, and I didn't. I didn't did I do it in 05? I may have done it in 05 with the national team as well. Okay. I have to look back. Interesting. In the, in the old record books. That was a um, that was a fun time. That that was like the closest thing to a a uh, European World Tour that we had in the states at the time. And my brother and our friend, we went down there and just kind of followed stage after stage. And we were at Brass Town, and um, I think it was one of Lance's last hurrahs, kind of. Well, maybe before he kind of came back again. And then uh, Danielson was there, and then uh, Floyd Landis had just moved to uh, Phonak, I think. Or some some team like that, and so Floyd Landis yep. was racing. I think he had just left. Um, well, I don't know if he raced on Discovery. Anyways, it was a good time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, whatever I, whatever rendition of Postal Service, yeah, he would, he would have left the year before. I remember though, Jittery Joe's was just such a huge, uh, just a, t- a huge team down there. So it was, it was very cool, um, and it was fun to, to experience Georgia like that. But. Uh, but yes. Especially for me, because I was I was growing up in in Georgia, racing in Georgia, and so as soon as I switched to the road, you know they were the big the big fish in the Georgia pond. So, and I I winded up going. I was living in Marietta. I would drive to Athens for the the Winter Bike League a lot. Um, the Winter Bike League was a a um, Saturday morning kind of uh, huge group ride with prize purse uh, winnings if you won the sprints, and so and they would. They would you get points and it was a big series. So you, you could win the overall if you, you know, were good and consistent. Um, but then also uh, Dave Crow, who was the mastermind behind the whole thing, he would write like a really crazy, ridiculous ride report after each and every winter bike league. So like for me as a, as a striving junior to go out there and, and, uh, or a young rider, I think I started going over there when I was probably 17 or 18. Um, it was really uh, motivating to try to get in his race report or his ride report. Sure. That would be the, the game. It's like try to get him to mention you. Like Do something on the ride worth being mentioned in the ride report. <laughs> um, and obviously some Jaduri Jones riders would come on the Winter Bike League because they were based in Athens. And uh, it was it was super cool to see those guys. And, you know, at that point, you're just looking up do them in awe like I, how do I get to your level like how do I you know how do I keep up with you and then ultimately how do I beat you um and it was a lot of fun when they when I finally kind of got their attention and then they offered me a deal to ride for them in 2004 that was a huge deal for me because I had spent a lot of time in Athens and they were that was like that was the Georgia team to be on if you're you know if you wanted to be a pro so it was really cool to get to, to join their team and then to get to do tour Georgia with them and you know, it was my first sort of taste of uh, pro cycling. And it was even cooler that Cesar Grajales was on the team and was able to actually win on Brasstown. And so it was like kind of thrown into the wolves a little on, on the, uh, you know, just it was, a, it, wasn't, it was a very small team, very small budget, but we had a guy who was dropping uh, Lance and Floyd on Brasstown. So <laughs> it was crazy. It was quite, a, quite the, uh, you know, into the deep end. That's that's amazing. And then when you raced in Europe, did you race for the U.S. national team? Um, did you race for any other yep. teams over there? I started, so I went over there originally in 
I think if I went in 2003, I think I went over there first in 2003 or maybe, maybe it was in 2004. You know, that's a long time ago now. Um, I think it was 2004. I first went over there and, uh, I did 2004, 2005, 2006, um, racing for the national team. Uh, the first trip, which I think was 2004 was, uh, was short. I think I just did one like six week block in May, like the, the summer, early summer block. Um, I didn't know what I was getting, didn't have a clue what I was getting into, except that everyone said, if you wanted to be a professional bike racer, you had to go to race in Europe. So I was just like, didn't matter what was going to happen over there. I just needed to get over there and start experiencing it and see what everybody was talking about. And, uh, one of the races that was happened that happened to be on the trip that I was going on was the honor 23 Perry Roubaix. So nice. I got my first taste of Perry Roubaix in 2004. And I mean, obviously I had heard of the race I knew it was on cobblestone, but I had no clue, you know, what it, what it would take to actually do well there. Or, um, you know, I just didn't know what the race was going to be like in the year, that year when I did it, it was raining. So oh, it God. was insanity. <laughs> A full experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't rain too often either. So it's, uh, it was unique in that way. Um, and I crashed a bunch, got a bunch of flats and I, I, I finished the race but officially i was outside of the limit to be able to, to be shown the results so i had sure. to come back for more <laughs> so yeah so then i did so i guess noel de Jonquere, who was running the program at the time um he was kind of like the godfather for the national team he uh he saw some some potential in me probably from just the, the grit that i showed and and finishing the race even after all the crashes and mechanicals and flats and stuff he uh he offered me a chance to come back in 2005 full-time um which means like you know you do all three trips you do the spring summer and the the fall trip um so i did 05 and 06 full-time over there and just cutting my teeth on on the european um you know learning crosswinds learning how to avoid road furniture and oh yeah just the depth it takes and the commitment it takes to be able to try to compete on that kind of a level and then try to sprint on that kind of a level is something totally different. <laughs> I, I don't know if I even ever got the, the full grasp on how to, how to really sprint over there, but, um, it was cool. I had a lot of good, uh, I mean, I was, I was, I was submerged with all the, all the best riders from the U S that was over there. Like I know when I, the first trip I took over there, Walker Ferguson was over there. Um, Tyler Farrar was over there. They had a t- Timmy Duggan, like a ton of, a ton of, they're just a little bit older than me guys that were you know they were at the top of the sport and it was it was really cool to kind of be amongst them and you learn a lot really fast when you shoot to that level so it was good for me to kind of understand that that's kind of where i kind of grew up as a bike racer was in that tiny little house in isigan belgium did did you do any of the like kermesses any of those like belgian crits you Mm -hmm. know yeah, I've, I've only did. read. I've, a, I've heard a little bit about them. I've read a little bit about them, and they just seem insane. Like <laughs> that scares the crap out of me. Just thinking about racing in that they kind are, of. <laughs> they're insane. They're 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 a good taste of kind of what European bike racing is all about. It's it's uh, balls to the walls, crazy chaotic. Like you know, just really they're not, they're not crits. They're more like circuit races, but um, you know they're typically 150k or 100 150k and they're just they're they're brutal they're insane um they're like the hardest crit you've ever done but you're doing it against like souped up european you know old pros or like just 
you know how European bike racers are always, um, they're just more born and bred in the bike racing than Americans are. So that's, they're just, they're all at a higher level than, you know, <laughs> than we are here in the U S like, they, like if you're, if you're a bike racer in Europe, no matter if you're just doing kermesses or, or not, um, you're, you know, you, you understand tactics, you're a good bike rider and you're very strong. Mm-hmm. So as I under 23 doing those kermesses, it was always like, did you finish? Like, did you actually finish? <laughs> and it's still that way. Like even, even when I did some kermesses on, uh, on BMC or on rally, it was like, did you, I mean, it's one thing to, to start a kermess, but it's another thing to actually finish one. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, it was crazy. They're they nuts. So you've, you've obviously had a pretty successful, uh, career in cycling and then i don't mean to fast forward so much but um coming out of uh being a pro cyclist and riding full-time um you've obviously kind of fallen to the industry on on the other end um with um gulo uh, composites tell, tell me a little bit about gulo and the and the company and the wheels and and, and what what you're doing over there yeah definitely um, I spent so much time racing in the sport and, and, and kind of being around um, different brands and test, not testing, but racing on a lot of different products. And, um, you know, every year the sponsors change. So I developed a wide range of, you know, understanding what, what uh, you know, what, what the different options are out there, not just wheels, but um, components and frames and clothing and the whole, the whole nine yards on, sure. on cycling as a whole. As a whole. Uh, I will say during COVID, when the racing came to a halt, um, I took a page out of my wife's book, who was also a pro bike racer, but she was she has been um, doing digital marketing for a company that she's a partner in, Koya. Koya, they do plant powders, so freeze dried plant powders. Okay. Um, single ingredient um, products like uh, kale powder, spinach powder, um, all the way to like dragon fruit powder. Um, they, do, they have all kinds of crazy, awesome. Um, products that you can just mix with water or smoothies or, or whatever you want to. Um, so she runs a digital marketing for that company for, for Koya. And over COVID, I was like, well, I need to, <laughs> I need to kind of rethink my approach to what I want to do when I'm done racing. So considering, you know, we didn't know where we were all going to land after COVID. I mean, we all hoped it would blow over, but I wanted, I wanted to kind of think about something I could do remotely. So I started educating myself and taking classes and learning from Allie, um, Google ads, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, um, email marketing, SEO. I started really focusing on that and learning as much as I could um, about the digital side of marketing. And, you know, with, with the cycling relationships we had with the companies that we worked with, you know, I understood the whole thing. I mean, as a, as a pro bike racer, that's what we were, is that we were, we were a marketing tool for that for every company that sponsored our team, you know, whether it's from content creation or just reviews or product testing, um, or even sometimes we do blogs for certain brands. And so I, I kind of had a natural understanding of what, you know, what these companies needed and how they needed to, to use, um, ambassadors and stuff to promote. Um, and also, you know, what I learned about all during COVID was, you know, the importance of keywords and keyword friendly f- phrases and, you know, kind of just diving into all of that. Um, I'll fast forward to the end of the year when a good friend of mine here in, in the, the Asheville area, John Corey, reached out to Allie and said, hey, 
you know, I know you do this for your company and I don't know what John is up to, but you guys should take this meeting with Gulo. They're making these really awesome carbon wheels in Brevard, but you know, it's different than everything you've seen as far as carbon wheels go, because these have carbon spokes. And <laughs> I heard that Allie tells me and I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, if, if they need, if they need something from us, like if we can do anything for, for the cycling community here locally, like let's, let's get in there and see what, what they're all about and what, what we could do for them. Like, this sounds really cool. Um, so they, we got, we took the meeting with, with David Watkins who owns the company and, you know, he was, he was, you could tell that he wanted to kind of bring in, um, not just someone who could help them on the marketing side, but also someone who knew the industry and knew the sport and could kind of drive like, uh, you know, have the inside knowledge and have the contacts and kind of be able to, to speak of the brand, but also the sport in a, you know, kind of have the experience and the, I wouldn't say the authority, but you know how it is. Like when you've been in the sport forever, you know, you know what you've seen, you know, what's, what's what. So, um, I, I was able to, uh, offer my time because my, I was deciding to retire and I was like, yeah, I can, I'm happy to, to step in and test the wheels and see what, what, what works. And then I got on the wheels and they were like, it just, they blew me away. <laughs> I knew they were onto something, something special here. So, nice. um, once, once I kind of got a feel for what, what their products offering was, I was like, I gotta be a part of this. So <laughs> the next meeting when, um, when, when David was asking me what I wanted to do, I was like, well, just, just take me on full time. Like you can have, <laughs> I'll just, I'll do whatever you guys need to be done, you know, in terms of um, developing products or, or marketing products or like going to events or helping with ambassadors or anything you guys need. Like I'm in, let's do it. So yeah, I became their, their brand manager. Um, you know, essentially that, that next month. So I'm, I'm, I'm in like a pretty amazing position because I love the marketing side um, of, of the end of the industry as a whole, but I also like, really really enjoy riding these wheels because they're they're so smooth yet so stiff and oh so light um but then i also love cycling and uh, and this area to have a job in the western north carolina brevard area is, is not easy to find and my wife and i weren't planning on moving so yeah it was kind of a dream opportunity um i'm like totally pumped to tell you about our wheels today man i, I love that yeah tell me a little bit more about that's such a, I, I love that story too. I mean, that's, I, uh, congratulations on, on such a, like a smooth transition out of pro cycling into the industry, um, and not having to really fight for it very much. It seems like it just worked and you found, a uh, nothing better than, uh, finding a, a, a product that you believe in. And it sounds like obviously you're passionate about not only cycling, but about the product as well. Um, Tell me more about these carbon spokes. I want to know everything about them and what, like, are, do, do, do they have nipples on them? How do how do they connect to the rim? Like, how do they yep. how do they help the the stiffness or the you know what happens if I break one? You know, I'm I'm super curious. Yep. Yeah. So to start with, you have to know about the parent company who is Kier Manufacturing. And Kier Manufacturing has been in the the ceramics and. Um, and, and composite industry for over 25 years. And so they manufacture small parts for, for companies all over the world. And you've never heard of them because they, they're not a retail brand. 
Um, they sell to, you know, I don't even know all the companies they sell small parts to and they manufacture the parts here in Brevard in house and, you know, custom pieces for, for their machines or, or their, you know, every, whatever you might need as a, as a big brand, you would, you know, you could have here, make their, make your, make your niche part for them. And that's how they've kind of built their, their industry or their, or their company. And so the, the long and the short of it is, is that, uh, David Watkins at Kier was able to get his hands on some very unique composite uh, materials that are not available to anybody. Um, and so he, once he started working with this composite, he realized that he had um, the ability to build like a kind of like a carbon rope with an extremely high tensile strength. And when he was putting it together, um, he found that the, the pull test on this this sort of carbon rope was just unbelievably stronger than anything else I'd ever seen. And when he was doing his homework on where, where to put this material to use, you know, he found his his head, his business, the entrepreneurial head said, like, this is time to this is I should I need to build this into something for for himself. You know, he wanted that was his first uh, approach at a, a retail brand for for Kier. Um, but you know, so what he learned was that the composite industry was growing so rapidly in the cycling world. And given his location here in Western North Carolina, where cycling is, it's a, it's, this is a Mecca mm-hmm. for mountain biking and road bikes together. Um, you know, he put, he put all his eggs in the, in the basket of let's, let's, let's build wheels and let's use this, this, uh, this composite technology and make the strongest spokes in the world. And let's see how, how it performs. And so they spent five years um, building spokes, re- making new new additions or renditions or revisions, however you want to look at it, um, until arriving at the, the, the version that we have now. Um, you know, originally, I think they had thought about, you know, a spoke you could sell to, to, to wheel companies. Um, it's kind of like a third-party spoke that, replace the stainless steel spokes, but in the end, um, it just made more sense for, for us to, to do the complete wheel system and have control over the the rim angles and the hub angles and the whole, the whole process start to finish and offer a complete wheel package, um, rather than kind of sending our spokes out to a wheel brand and hoping that they, you know, tied it all in correctly. We, it was, it was more advantageous to make sure we could, and we could produce a better wheel too if we were able to design the hub and design the rim around our spoke. And so, um, essentially, what you have with our spokes, which is the G1 um, composite spoke, is half the weight of your typical stainless spoke. But then also, we have an impact tower here where we drop a, a massive weight um, from, I don't know, 18 inches up straight onto the spoke. And we connect. Um, one of our spokes, one of our carbon spokes, um, and then like a, I think it's just a regular 14 or 15 gauge stainless steel spoke on both sides and one hit with the weight on the stainless steel spoke and it's mangled and and our, our composite spoke can take countless hits. You just keep, keep beating this thing up and it it doesn't, it doesn't like, you know, fillet in half, like you'd expect a composite spoke to do. It actually like maintains structure and rigidity. So it can actually take. Um, a substantial amount more hits without deforming like the stainless steel spoke would. 
Uh, and then the pull strength is also substantial, um, substantially stronger than your, your typical stainless spoke. So what you wind up seeing is that under tension, the, the rim is not getting like the same kind of like elastic effect that you get out of a stainless steel wheel. And if something does happen and you wind up breaking um, the spoke, if you wind up breaking a, one of these, one of our carbon spokes, the wheel actually stays very straight still um, because all the rest of the spokes can handle that one spoke being kind of being um, compromised. So whereas I'm sure you've broken plenty of spokes before stainless steel, you break one spoke, what happens to your wheel? The wheel goes totally out of true. On, on one of the stays and, and that's a, that's kind of a mess. Um, on the road, you got a, a spoke that's just like, you know, filleting out, just like kind of jingling all over and like <laughs> hitting your, hitting, hitting your, your super nice carbon, um, chain stays and seat stays and marring everything up. Um, and, and also, uh, before disc brakes rubbing, you'd be rubbing your, your brake pads. So you would you'd be rubbing really hard. So it'd slow you down a lot. Um, typically anything we see on our, our wheels, the wheels stay extremely smooth. Um, and a lot of times you don't even know the spoke is broken until you get home and you're cleaning the bike up and you realize, Oh no, this is, <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's an issue here. And, and, um, our, our wheels are easily serviceable. Any bike shop can, can service our wheels, um, treat the spokes like a bladed spoke and don't wind them up. So there's a, there's a nipple, um, uh, there is a nipple. So we have the, the carbon spoke with two um ferrules attached to each end which are threaded and the hub side threads into the hub right and we use a little bit of loctite to secure it in it's, it's removable but it won't it won't unthread while you ride and, it, it, and then you can, I, you can work with any any hub do you have to have a special hub or no so what we did was we designed we designed our hubs to to have the uh most the straightest line possible to the rim and we offset the rim too so that like you know the drive side and the non-drive side carry they go they go as straight as possible into the rim and what that does is it allows us to increase rigidity and durability okay um and and so we don't we're not we're not uh we're not selling our spokes for any other any other hub or rim because we want to just ensure the, the highest quality and if you you could put our spokes on a direct straight line rim um, and there are some, some hubs that, you know, our spokes would probably thread into if they were threaded. Um, but we don't recommend that and we don't sell our spokes anyways. So it'd basically it'd be impossible for you to try to do. So, yeah. So then we have the, so our hubs, our rims, um, except the, the nipples come from the outside of the rim and we just thread it into the spoke at the rim. So you do have to take the tire and rim strip off, but, um, any, any bike shop has the, the, uh, the tools is the standard standard wheel truing tools. So it's it's uh, nothing. None, none of our products are are uh, you know, we, we don't have to service them. So you can service at any shop. We would probably try to get on the phone and give them a bit of a tutorial. But I think I think any any bike shop they, they might you know be hesitant to to work on our wheels just because they don't they may not know about them yet. But once we talk to them, they'll realize that they're actually quite simple to work on and they're they're good to go there you can you can turn them around and you know an hour if they have an issue even just truing you can just any shop you just chew them up so it's a piece of cake very cool 
And he said that, uh, you know, kind of starting with wheels. How long has Gulo been been a, been manufacturing wheels now? So we just uh, officially launched in April of last year. Okay. So just over a year. So we're 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 a little we're a little 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 company right now. We're just just getting off the ground, just getting rolling, so to speak. <laughs> Very cool. And then you you said uh, you, you don't think you're just going to stop with wheels. You won't be specifically wheels. Maybe branch out a little bit into other. Um, I mean, carbon. There's there's you know kind of the sky's the limit in terms of the cycling industry, right? Yeah. Yep. And that's that's exactly their their positioning is they. You know they they feel that we feel that with the the tech we can put into these wheels, you know, we can build a customer base that you know once you test and try our wheels, you'll realize that our the composites that we're using are are unique and and uh, innovative. And as we move them to the next component or component group, um, there'll be there'll be something that you know you have to have just because you know you already know the performance side and and our brand. And as we build this brand. And continue to support our products with lifetime warranties and customer service, um, unrivaled customer service that we we pride ourselves in. You know, we we hope that we can start to kind of cover cover your bike from head to toe. Very cool. Um, and then, how are you selling directly from your website? Is that is that basically how people can find your uh, find your products? Yep, yep. We're a direct to consumer. We do have some dealers in the in the area. And uh, and select locations across the country, um, mostly because I'm finding that a lot of a lot of times customers can't get the right wheels they want. Um, in this day and age, it's hard to find certain certain brands, and some some things are really really backed up. So we, we want to make sure that the bike shops at least you know can offer us as a as an option to, to customers that are looking for something different um, and unique um, and available. Um, so we are, we are in some, some dealers, um, but we do sell direct. I, I really like dealing, talking to our customers one-on-one and not, not just trying to pick up as many bike shops as they can and hoping they, they sell our stuff. I, I know that we're, we're our best salesmen and we can, we can support and, uh, promote the product better than anyone. So the goal for, for me and for Gulo is to, to go directly to the customer and, and service your wheels directly as well. If, if they want. So the range of wheels, um, I'm assuming you have from uh, 700C road wheels to, I mean, do you do like 650B? Do you do um, 27.5 mountain bike wheels? Like what's what kind of range do you have? Yeah, so since, since we are a small company, we, we have what we're offering right now is we have a mountain bike, road bike, and gravel bike um, line. Okay. But we're, everything is uh, 20, 29 and and 700 okay. we don't actually have a 650 or a 275 offering at the moment okay um it's not out of the question but as we as we grow our brand you know we had to be sort of we had to kind of select uh you know what we thought the, the biggest market would be um and we had to kind of keep saying say you know we had to kind of keep it keep it uh keep we want to control we didn't want to be too too big and then not not be able to support it as well as we could. So we wanted to make sure we just wanted to tap into the kind of the the, the bigger slice of the market, um, the most uh, most common slice, I guess, is way, the way to put it. Sure. Um, you know, we know we know 700C on the roadside, um, and we know 29 on the mountain bike side is kind of the leading the leading um, wheel size, the leading choice 
So we, we pick that um, as, you know, our best entry point. And as we grow and learn from our customer, we can, we can do whatever we want. You know, we can, we can, um, we can expand the line and offer 650 or 27.5 um, whenever we feel the need. We just want to really kind of, mostly we just want to get out there, um, get the customer feedback and, and kind of, kind of keep on moving and learning as we grow. So at the moment we don't have the smaller wheel size options, but um, if you look at our wheel line, we do have, Cross country, um, we do have down country, and we have enduro mountain bike wheels. Okay, we have um, a forty-six mil and a thirty-six mil road wheel, sort of like two like paper dish road wheels. They're disc only, um, so we don't we don't have a rim brake option. And on the gravel side, we've got a an SL with a twenty-two mil internal rim width, which is hooked, so you can do run higher pressure. And we have a twenty-five mil internal rim width. Uh, gravel wheel as well okay so we've got we kind of have a, a couple wheel sets or a few wheel sets for each each line and we mostly just want to kind of get these get these rolling get our brand growing and kind of get to the events and see our people and um you know if 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 the need comes that people are really really wanting that 27.5 then yeah we'll go down that that trail no problem yeah right now it's it's uh we've got um seven wheels seven wheel sets to to promote and that's enough for us right now at the moment <laughs> i mean I, anyone making bike parts right now i'm sure is like are you, you guys are probably swamped and trying to fulfill orders um but yeah the, probably the tighter you can keep the uh, product line it makes it a little easier and i i just think it's an interesting conversation i always i'm curious about how people feel about 700 versus 60 650 it seems like in our area everything's kind of 700 unless people want to go pretty um, extreme with their their setup. Not extreme, but I don't know. But um, I'm guessing it, it is kind of. You, I feel like if you want to go on the 650 or 27.5 side, you know, on the gravel adventure bike side, I think it you know it offers an opportunity to have a little bigger tire for for the gravel, and then on the mountain bike side, you know, you have a little different handling and. Um, but I also, um, part of our, the part of the draw to our, our carbon spokes is that a lot of times you go down a smaller wheel size for handling, handling, handling ability, stiffness. Um, and, and, and like what we're seeing with our spokes is that, um, the tracking is second, is the second to none because of the, uh, the stiffness of the wheel and the, the, uh, because each spoke, uh, holds the wheel so 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 well i guess is a good way to put it um you know the rim isn't like doing this sway effect that a typical stainless steel wheel would do um so you wind up getting a more comfortable ride without having to downsize your diameter and run a bigger tire so you can run lower pressure right i think ultimately you're you're going down to a smaller wheel so you can run a bigger tire with lower pressure be maybe a little more comfortable um and better handling if if you're looking for tighter stuff. But then what I'm finding is that we might not need to go down that road because of the advantages that our carbon spokes do offer. So that's why I want to kind of get the feedback from our customers and, and even, um, even ambassadors and pros and see if, if they're kind of agreeing with kind of our, my philosophy on, on the wheel size. So I think what, I think you don't need to have a 700 and a 650 B or, a 29 and a 27.5 if you've got a set of our wheels. 
Like we're we're basically trying to eliminate the need for multiple sets of wheels for each consumer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And yeah, that's that's great. So a pretty relatively new company, but um, then now you are one of the sponsors for BWR, and I want to talk a lot about Belgian Waffle Ride, North Carolina or Asheville. I'm not sure how they're actually. I guess it's Bel- Belgian Waffle Ride, North Carolina. It's Asheville. It's Asheville. It's Asheville area. I mean, you're gonna find Asheville. Um, we're, we're, you're, we're like 30 minutes from Asheville, so it's you know it's still. I don't know. I don't know how the uh, how you want to geographically place us. North Carolina, Hendersonville. Um, you know, we we've had to change. So to talk on your earlier point about the distances and how you've seen some changes in the distances of the yeah. course. COVID has affected us. Uh, it's affected everybody, right? But it's affected the event um, industry substantially. We were originally slated to to be hosted by Nevada at their beautiful new brewery they built in Mills River. Um, if you come down, you, you need to make sure you try to go over to their brewery if possible. Their brewery, it's it's breathtaking what they built there. Which um, which brewery? And Sorry, I, Sierra Nevada. Oh, Sierra Nevadas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They built a state of the art facility here in Mills River, and it's 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 crazy it's so nice it's it's ridiculous i mean it has a awe effect kind of like it's 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 really incredible what they've done there nice. um and so we were we were super excited uh for them to host the event because it's just such a beautiful property and they have a they have a ton of land and they have a ton of space and it's all wide open and it's, it, even the indoor space is beautiful um the brewery is just it's amazing to to go take a tour and, and see what they're doing in there. Um, but when I, when they brought me in, I was still racing, obviously. Um, and they wanted, they wanted me to help with the course design because they wanted someone who knew the area really well. And I'd been training here for, um, over six years and mm-hmm. I knew, I knew the roads. And I knew mostly gravel. Most of my training I had done was doing on gravel anyways, because I loved it. Um, mountain biker at heart. So the gravel was kind of <laughs> for me, like the best place to go and get away from the cars. And I would ride my road bike on it um in the years past so you know I, I knew i knew that it was all easily rideable um so when they brought me in to, to help with the course design you know it was starting and fin- starting and finishing from from sierra nevada well if we can't go into pisgah national forest which we really can't do with the group um you know with with the size of this event with the with the scope of what they you know thought they could do we were immediately um, outnumbered to go out to go into Pisgah. I don't think you, with an event, I don't think you're allowed to go into Pisgah National Forest with more than 200 people or so. That's sort of the number. I think that's okay. the magic number if you want to do an event in Pisgah. So we had to venture out, um, and it was you know we had to take take some roads and we had to kind of get into the good gravel, get down to the good gravel, and uh, with. That was fine. We made we made an amazing course, and it was 145 miles long, and could have made it longer if we wanted to, but that <laughs> seemed like long enough. <laughs> um, and so. it was it was it was crazy. It was a crazy uh, experience, kind of putting the event together or putting the course together sure. and um, tying everything in. And then when COVID hit, you know, it was like, what's going to happen now? Well, obviously, we can't possibly put on an event like like this because we had over a thousand registrations in the first month of. I think we opened registration in February and there were like a thousand or something right away. So we knew we weren't going to be able to really do those events considering the COVID ridiculousness. Right. Um, so, 
you know, it was a whole year of just being like, what's going to happen here? What are we going to do? How are we going to, how are we going to manage? Um, and Sierra, um, Sierra Nevada that, you know, they were, they've got a business to run that's not, you know, hosting events. So right. eventually we got to the point where we were like, well, what we can, let's just, they were, they still wanted to support the event, but we didn't, they didn't want to, they couldn't host us, not with the size of what we were growing to. And plus we had a feeling once the event started back, um, they might kind of balloon up even more considering all this pent up energy from being at home, you know, during the pandemic. So we wanted to make sure we had a venue that could support um, as many people that wanted to come as possible. And when we started talking with Ride Canuga and Canuga Conference Center, um, which is more Hendersonville, uh, which is just a little south of Asheville, uh, they they were you know they have a, a massive um, piece of land, and they you know they could they could accommodate us, and we could have all this outside space and it started to make more sense to, to do the event there and they have lodging and they have huge open, you know, fields for expo and, and didn't hurt that they were basically right in the heart of where all the good gravel and all the good riding starts from and ends at. So for the course that we had already created, um, you know, they were a limit like starting and finishing <clears throat> in Canuga was eliminating a lot of pavement and not reducing our gravel really at all. So we kind of would keep the same, all of the best elements of our course, but then we were able to kind of reduce the, I would say the kind of filler road pavement sections and take that out. And that's why you'll see the course down to something like 105 miles um, versus 145 miles because we don't have to make that 15, 18 mile trek back up to Sierra Nevada Brewery. So- okay. It's a shorter course, but the elevation and the uh, the gravel sections are actually more or less all still there. So, so it's not I, any easier now that it's shorter. <laughs> so now are we talking, is it more of a 50-50 split between gravel pavement? Yeah, it's a, a hair more than 50% gravel now. Okay. Yep, and almost all the climate. Yeah, and that's most of that, mostly, most of that was from trying, trying to get down south from from Sierra, Sierra Nevada's uh, venue. So once we got to, to ride, or once we got to Canuga, we were able to reduce the, uh, the payment down and up that ratio. And it's going to be a much, uh, a much better course from my point of view. Um, we we kind of have a lot more leeway to add and subtract and kind of like dip and dive than before where we kind of had to like race down to the good gravel and then kind of race back up. Now sure. it'll be uh action pack from start to finish <laughs> talk to me more about then the the course so a lot of climbing um uh you know you're gonna get a lot of climbing when you come to Asheville, sure at least western <laughs> north carolina but you know it's gonna be ridiculous so we have a lot of a lot of climbs on gravel a lot of descents on gravel oh, um man. just a lot of a lot of different types of gravel um we're a chunky smooth uh, we got some dirt, we got some mud, we got, I mean, we got, we have it all. Um, and I would love to, to give you like a full on play by play on the course, but we're, we're keeping it under pretty tight wraps. Oh, come on, man. Um, I, I thought that maybe I would, <laughs> a bit, maybe off mic, one of the, off mic, you'll let me know. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I always I give all my friends inside inside scoop, but nothing official, you know. <laughs> well, d- um, tell me tell me a little bit about. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the the big question people will have is tires, and this is questions that like uh, my brother and friends have had. Um, and I think knowing that it's fifty fifty, I'm going to kind of rethink. Um, I was going to kind of go more towards like thirty five thirty eight, but right now I, I'm running forty Maxxis Ramblers, and I might just hold. Just keep on those. I I'm not sure. Like, what what kind of tires would you recommend in that in that area? Just generally, you know, for the gravel. Yeah. So you know, a lot of this comes down to personal preference and your goals as a rider, right? So uh, before I answer your question, um, which I, I I love talking gear, I love talking yeah. tech, I love talking all this stuff. Um, Gulo is Gulo is Gulo is sponsoring the event, so we're the the category sponsor for the wheels for the North Carolina ride, and Gulo is also um, hosting a survival camp. Yes, um, the week before the event, so August sixteenth through the twenty first, and the whole point of the survival camp is one: come down early and kind of get get ready for the event. Ride with me and other coaches and gravel pros. We're going to pre-ride the courses the week before. So you would get to see the sections and you can test different tires, test different wheels. Obviously we have Gulo wheels you can test. That's sort of the big draw for us is we really want people to try our wheels and, yeah. you know, sort of like it's a taste test, you know, it's like try our wheels. And if you don't like them, okay, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'll back off. But if you <laughs> try them and tell me they're not changing your ride, um, especially on something that's as, as burly, as hilly, as bumpy as this course. Um, so back to your tire question, you know, that's what we're going to be going over at these camps at the camp sure. is, um, you know, let's, let's talk about, first of all, what your, your goals are. Like, are you, are you going to go out there and enjoy yourself and have the best time possible and hopefully not puncture and not have to spend time on the side of the road? You know, are you, are you wanting to finish and survive and are you wanting to, enjoy your ride and maybe bring a couple of buddies and like you know, ride together and just sort of have a great time and enjoy the aid stations. They're going to be fully, fully stocked with all kinds of goodies and enjoy the day. Or are you talking like, what's going to keep me in that front group? What's going to keep me riding with, with Stetna and, and, uh, and Pin Dam and all these guys. Like, you know, there's two different sides of this, this approach sure. for your equipment selection. Well, I don't know about front group, but I kind of want to smash it as hard as I can go. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's, I kind of, yeah, I, I know the, I, I want to keep it comfortable, but also I want to be fastish. So I don't, I don't want to go too low, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and I think that's what a lot of, I, I bet a lot of people don't want to sacrifice too much comfort, but they want to make sure that they're efficient enough, um, but knowing the fifty percent gravel, and yeah. a lot of it is yeah. gra- gravel yeah. descents too. Like that's I was just talking to someone because Michigan's pretty flat. There's there's some the climbing, but nothing like nothing like mountains. And and all I've been thinking, you know, coming up to for this season is like I'm gonna do BWR. There's gonna be a ton of climbing, ton of climbing, ton of climbing. All this climbing, all this climbing. And then it dawned on me. There's going to be all this descending too, <laughs> and I'm almost more concerned now about the descending than the climbing itself. So I just want to make sure. I think um, I want to be competitive in my, 
you know, where I am competitive. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, third group back or something, but also I want to make sure that I'm not going to eat it going down a gravel descent. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as you, if you puncture on a gravel descent, then that's when it gets sketchy, right? Right. <laughs> um, a little bit. So I, I think, I, will you say you're running a 38 Rambler? Uh, you 40, now? 40 Rambler. 40? Um, yeah. Um, you, you can probably size that down depending on what's the what rim width, what wheels are you riding? So I'm riding, um, they're, they came with my uh, Giant Revolt. So they're like a CX-1 carbon. Um, I'm trying to think of the rim width right now. I'm not sure. It's it's They're hookless. They're pretty wide. Um but I don't know off. They're hookless. I bet, I bet they're fairly wide. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you've got a, a fairly wide rim, um, the next, you know, more, almost more importantly than the, the, the rim, the tire width or size would be the, the pressure you can run, you know, how low a pressure can, can you go? Yeah. Um, and I'm a bigger guy and I, I, I hate flatting and staying on the side of the road, trying to change a flat. So I always run a little more pressure than all my, all my colleagues do. And they always think I'm crazy for the pressure I run. Um, but I'd rather take a little more of a beating and not have to lose the lose the front group or lose the group I'm with because of a flat. So I always tend to run a little bigger tires so that I can have a little bit, you know, I can have a little more room on the pressure side. Yeah. Um, I, I think 40 is, is going to be good for you in terms of – and how much, how much do you weigh? 165, 160, 165, okay. yeah. You can, probably, you can probably size down. Um, you know, you just have to understand the risks of sizing down is, is that, um, you'd have to run, I think with a smaller tire, you'd need a little bit more pressure. Yeah. Um, so you lose a little bit of that comfort, but you might gain it in the speed or the, uh, on the pavement sections. Um, it's, it's a tough one. I've, I've been asked this question, even from the BWR guys numerous times. Um, T- Phil Tensman's asked me this probably a handful of times already. Every time I'm like. It just depends on the kind of rider you are. Like we have to kind of, this is a case by case basis. Um, if you're, if you're looking to do a, your fastest time that, you know, if you want to go out there and, and really race it, you know, like, yeah, you can, you can take, you can take a size down and, and take some chances on the, on the size. I mean, it's not, I'm not saying you can't run a 36 on this course. Like I could probably do it and, and get through it if you're, if you're delicate on the descents, you know, if you can yeah. keep your wheels together, keep your tires with air in them, um, it'll probably, you know, gain you some minutes on the course. Um, and it might be Jeff a little bit more, but you know, there's no, I don't think there's any perfect recipe here um, for that. I think your ramp, the rampers are good though. They kind of have the good all around uh, traction, yeah. you know, they're fast still. And do you think there's, do you find your, those are still pretty fast on the pavement? Yeah, I can get them pretty fast. Um, I know there's, I, what, what an, it's such an un, like ending conversation that we could have with this. Cause I mean, it's not only, it um, is. it's not only goals and then it's courses and then like BWR is so interesting because of, uh, how many different BWRs there are. And I know like, you know, next weekend is the San Diego one and people are all like talking about, well, what, what tires, you know, and like Stetna won it on 28s, like one year famously or something. And, and then the, was it Carson city? No, not Carson city, Cedar city, Cedar, Cedar, Cedar city. city. Yep. Um, that was like a hundred percent gravel and Sandy and, you know, like, so 
I mean, depending on like what, and gravel is such like a, you know, stupid term that encompasses everything. So, but, um, yeah, but I like the ramblers. I, you know, I, I'm not set on them. I threw them on because they were what were available and I needed something that, um, I was running like these Maxis Velocita or Velocita and they're like 40, the like slicks almost. And they were so fast, but they had nothing. I like, I couldn't corner on them whatsoever. Just, I would just kind of whatever. So, and, and they were pretty, uh, they weren't durable. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is an unending, uh, conversation. I, I, I think it's crazy that, uh, Boswell won unbound on like those, uh, specialized, I don't know, are there a pathfinder or like, uh, it has like a strip in the middle and then just a little bit, but they're like $40 tires. They're not like, like, they're not like amazing tires. It's just like, but I mean, they apparently are cause they can win. Well, you probably have to give a little credit to uh, Ian Boswell there, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's just what a, what an unending yeah, conversation. You got to keep those tires there and I'm, I'll give you I'll give you one bit that it's going to be a very twisty 105ish miles. So okay. it's not going to be I, I think Cedar City, I don't know how I never done, I haven't done unbound either. Um but I believe those sort of have some pretty pretty straight sections. Yeah. Um you're going to you're going to see here, you know, as you would expect, anyone that knows Western North Carolina knows we don't have any straight roads. So um it's it's going to be you know, dip and diving up and down, constant elevation change, and there's basically no flats on this route. So, okay. um, you know, you have to think about your 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 side traction a lot because you're going to be constantly, you're going to be, yeah, you might get dizzy. I think <laughs> you're going to be turning a lot. I think that is probably the best piece of advice that uh, you've offered is the the side traction thing, and especially from someone like me that's Michigan, like. It's just like the same straight road for a hundred miles and you turn around, you know, like that's basically what we have, like mm-hmm. farm roads or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's great. Um, and, uh, yeah. And again, you know, if I could get down to the, uh, survival camp, I, I would get a even better, um, uh, window into this, uh, into the course for sure. That's very cool that you're putting that on. You said there might be some, uh, gravel pros making appearances to, uh, the, the survival yeah, I, camp I, as well? I have, I have TJ Eisenhart and Andrew Dahlheim coming for sure. Okay. And then um, once San Diego um, completes, I'll uh, probably get some more, more pros coming. Yeah. Um, once everyone's kind of gets through that. Um, I know for from our side, whether it's Gulo and BWR, um, you know, once San Diego is in the books, then we can kind of really focus on on north carolina so yeah definitely once it ends then we'll we'll start to push uh who else we have coming who's going to join us and you know what other um superstars do you want to get to go go ride with a little bit and um i'm sure they're going to want to come see some of the course firsthand too so yeah um they they might want um our firsthand knowledge to help them a little bit too so i'm sure they're going to want to come do a day or two with us as we conquer it yeah and then uh Week of the ra- or day of the race, what what are your responsibilities as one of the uh, part yeah. of, part of Gulo? And then, um, uh, are you just going to be on on course uh, uh, at the finish line? Are you going to be riding that day? How does that how does that work for you? Yeah, we're 
we're, there's talks of me riding the event just to be out there and um, yeah, you know, not necessarily as support. I don't know how much good support I really am. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you really want me, uh, you know, work being your mechanic. So <laughs> um, I, I think I'll probably ride it. Um, I don't know if I'll do the waffle. You know, this whole full time job thing it has me not riding my bike as much as I used to. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> Maybe maybe I'll do the waffle. I don't know. I'm not scared of a punishment. Um, I'm a bit of a glutton for punishment, anyways. Uh, that's why I was racer, a racer, a pro racer for over 15 years. Because I don't know, I always just wanted to to take my beating as best I could. So I may do I may do the waffle. Um, we'll see. You know, I may, you know, depending on how the the survival camp goes, I may be. Um, maybe they need me on the ground there. It depends. Like I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I can go either way. Like, I'd, I would love to, to do the event with some people and, and just help them ride through it. Um, that might be something I do, just seeing on, on who, whoever does the survival camp with us. Um, maybe I wind up, you know, just sort of riding with with some people that really want that that kind of support on the tra- on the course. I almost said trail. <laughs> the support on the wait, trail. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, <laughs> yeah, is there, is there something you're not telling us here? <laughs> There's plenty I'm not telling you. <laughs> Great. Um, well, I will. Uh, is there also like I'm, I'm assuming there's an expo, so Gula will be you know well uh, represented there. I'm 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 assuming, right? Yep. Yeah, we'll have an expo. We'll have uh, we'll have demo wheels. Um, ultimately, we we're we're trying to make bike riding more fun and more comfortable. And you know, since our wheels are our gravel wheels are in the 1200 gram range for the set. Um, they're going to help you climb faster too. No kidding. So and I, it's not just about the the compliance because um, that's that's uh, that's that's enough of a of a benefit. But they're also like sub thirteen hundred grams for the wheel set. So you wind up you probably break all your records in your on the climbs too. That's that's amazing. <laughs> um, I will be down. We're we're kind of making a long week of it, so I'll be down like Thursday. I think we're staying till Wednesday after the after the race so i'm sure i i hope that you know during the race i'll i'll track you down find you we can meet in real life and i can check out the wheels in real life as well um yeah i'm yeah totally excited and this was like are you staying at canuga no actually we're staying up in Asheville. um so we'll be a little bit away from cool um this this conversation was like meant to be because we i wanted to know like we a bunch of us want to know what the heck the course was going to be like and more about the, you know, um, gravel to pavement and how long it's going to be. So thank you for reaching out and, and talking to us and yeah, we'll have to talk more maybe when I'm, when I'm down in Asheville. Yeah, definitely. Um, like I said, I'll be there all week, um, and all weekend. It's a big, it's a big deal for us as a, as a company. And as for myself personally, the event, I really want to make sure it's, uh, a huge success because um, I'm just excited for so many, so many different types of people and bike riders to come into the Asheville area and ride our gravel and, and just get together. And I'm, I'm also, you know, extremely grateful that, we're, you know, this, this pandemic is starting to, you know, subside a bit sure. and we're able to actually comfortably do a big event like this. So all things, uh, all things great. And yeah, when you get down, uh, send me an email, we'll, we'll, uh, Grab a Sierra Nevada beer and talk uh, talk tires before you make your final selection. <laughs> I love it. I I'll have to bring down a few uh, a few options then. 
The IRC is going to be supporting our camp. So, and then I know they're a huge sponsor for BWR as well. So um, they've got a few really, really good options for for this event that um, you know we can talk more about as we get closer. Great. Well, John, thank you so much for uh, yeah for talking and you know we talked way more about than just about Belgian Waffle Ride and way more about uh, than just about Gulo and it was it was great great to get to know you more as a cyclist and then and then what you're doing now with Gulo and and your involvement in Belgian Waffle Ride. Thanks for having me, Trevor. Um, what a great what a great time talking to you. And I, I love talking bikes and wheels and, and bike racing. So we'll, we'll do this again whenever you want. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, let's grab a beer and have a little conversation in, in a few weeks. All right. Sounds good. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. The Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Midpack Media production in partnership with KOM Cycling the source for your bike accessories and necessities. And make sure you check them out at komcycling.com. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast. Email dirtychainpodcast at gmail.com. Call our hotline, 616-522-2641. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. A huge thank you to John Murphy for joining us on this episode and sharing his insight on the Belgian Waffle Ride, North Carolina. And as always, keep your chain clean, but get your chain dirty. We will see you in the mid-pack.